Hi everyone, this is Yin, and welcome to Growth and Failure. This show highlights extraordinary people that inspire and motivate me to level up. I'll have conversations with a wide range of profiles from entrepreneurs and athletes, investors to educators, you name it. I love hearing people's different journeys. For me, the biggest lessons learned and opportunities to grow come from the struggle, the pain, the defeat. And I hope hearing these stories inspire you to not fear that messy middle or failure, but rather motivates you to reflect, to keep learning, and ultimately to keep growing. For more information, please visit growthandfailure.com for more updates. And please write a review if you can. They really do help other people find this show. Thanks for listening. This is the story of Julie Newen, founder and CEO of Methodology, a meal prep service that has a mission to end autoimmune disease using food as medicine. No diet food, no processed foods, just nourishing ingredients that taste delicious and are good for you. It sounds so simple, but we all know that's not easy. On this episode, you'll hear about Julie's story and how her relationship with food was the catalyst to launching Methodology. From her own struggles to the self-education and finally the mastery of how food affects her own body, Julie cured herself from many health problems that she had suffered from for years. And so she created the company to share this knowledge of what she had learned on herself and also to create a program that saves people time, but also that people look forward to eating something really tasty. I had heard about methodology over a year ago. Uh, My friend Lindsay, who balances two kids, a high-profile investment career, and travels a ton, said that methodology is her savior, not only from the convenience of home delivery, but also that the meals were really healthy and delicious, but also nutrient-dense, which seems to be the holy grail of food these days. So of course, I had to try it with that type of endorsement, and I have to say I completely agree. So I also started following Julie and methodology on social media, And now I'm a total fangirl. (laughs) You cannot help but smile when you hear Julie talk about food because her love and passion for food is very, very clear. This is a woman who will wait in line for over three hours to get a special bowl of ramen. A woman who visited a mushroom farm and I have to say gave the most exquisite video tour and educational session for her clients that made fungus look so appealing. (laughs) But what's also clear is how much she wants to educate people, and not just about food, but overall health and wellness, truly raising the bar in food education. With her excitement and passion for food, you'd think Julie was born to do this. But what's interesting is that methodology might not ever have happened if Julie stayed in law school. We discuss how a low point for her was deciding to drop out of law school and how she felt it wasn't right for her, although she had no idea what she wanted to do. She just definitely knew it wasn't completing a law degree. And so after a tough time of trying to figure things out, she took time to reflect and ultimately focused in business, first in finance and then to Silicon Valley, where she met a wonderful mentor and ultimately launched Methodology. Julie's mission was to help people unjunk food and create delicious and healthy meals delivered to your door. I really do believe in their mission and I really believe in Julie and have the same lens to view food as medicine. I hope you enjoy listening to this interview with Julie. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me. Hi, it's nice to be here. Before we talk more about methodology, I'd love to hear the story of how it all began. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Orange County in Southern California in the little Saigon area, which is the largest population of Vietnamese people outside of Vietnam, I think. 
That's where I went to high school. I was raised by a single mom, Vietnamese, and she didn't really know much about American food and what was healthy and wanted me to fit in with everyone. So she was really big on never making me bring weird Vietnamese food, you know, to school for lunch. No fish sauce. Yes, no fish. She, yeah, she always yelled at me and always talked about how she hated coworkers who would bring fish sauce and ramen to work and it's so embarrassing for other Asians. And so she wanted me to be American. So I was raised on a fast food diet. I ate a lot of McDonald's, Taco Bell, KFC, and... It was fine when I was a kid because when you're a kid, you're resilient, you know, your metabolism bounces back. But that stuff really started to catch up to me by the time I was in college. Where did you go to college? I went to college at Stanford. It was my dream school since I was a little kid. My whole life revolved around getting into Stanford. I was kind of psycho about it and had written in my diary every year since I was five years old, I'm going to Stanford when I grow up. So I went to Stanford, which was a dream come true for me. And the sad thing about it was I worked so hard to get there. But once I got there, I was actually, I was just so sick that I couldn't do well in school. What do you mean you were sick? Like I had health problems, like really bad asthma to the point where I had to be on steroids and was constantly getting asthma attacks. I would get panic attacks all the time because I had such bad anxiety. I had insomnia. I had to be on prescription drugs for insomnia. I had really bad acne. I was super overweight and out of shape. Yeah, I mean, I just wasn't a healthy person and it, it was hard to do well in school when I was just low energy and constantly having these, you know, these day-to-day annoying type health problems like being congested, being tired that just make it hard to do well. I think it got progressively worse as I got older and I wasn't doing anything at the time to try to improve it. You know, there's the typical yo-yo dieting a lot of college gals will do. I did a lot of lemonade cleanses and slim fast and things like that. But my health just progressively kept getting worse as I got older. And what did you do after you graduated? After I graduated, I actually went to law school for one year because... I thought that that was what I wanted to do. It was something my parents really wanted. I had done mock trial all throughout high school. I had watched a lot of law-based TV shows and thought that I knew that that was what I wanted to do. And then, of course, I got to law school and realized that it's not at all like what it was on TV. And you need to be really detail-oriented and have an amazing memory, among other things, to be a strong lawyer. And... I just wasn't great at those things. I didn't like it. It didn't feel creative to me. I was super depressed when I was there. So I dropped out. And that was one of the hardest, scariest things I ever had to do because I felt like a loser. I had never dropped out of anything in my life before. I had to tell my parents I was going to drop out. I had to tell my friends. I was also horrified thinking, how am I going to find a job? Is anyone going to want to hire a law school dropout? It was just a really scary, horrifying time in my life. But of course, now looking back, I'm glad I did it. It was the right move, but it was definitely hard at the time. So what did you do after that? After law school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I just talked to a bunch of Stanford friends, Stanford alumni about what they were doing and how they decided and applied for a bunch of jobs and ended up getting a sales role at J.P. Morgan which was a job that I really loved, actually, because I got to work in finance. And and the job was analytical, but it was more social. (laughs) And I got to go around talking to people and I got to travel a lot. So I really enjoyed it. That's great. How long were you at J.P. Morgan? I was there for about three years. And what did you do after J.P. Morgan? Well, while I was at J.P. Morgan, 
which was based, I was in the office in San Francisco. You feel like a total loser when you work in finance in San Francisco, which is probably something you can empathize with, where like, it feels like everyone around you is doing something to change the world in a positive way. And it's something innovative and interesting. And then you're like, oh, I work in finance. And then no one wants to talk to you at like cocktail parties. Yeah, they're like, okay, (laughs) like no one wants to dig into what you do. So I felt totally unsatisfied working in finance in Silicon Valley. And so I knew within one or two years that of working at JP Morgan that I would probably try to find a job in tech. And then I became really good friends with the founding team at Lumosity and basically just begged them over the course of nine months to hire me, even though I knew nothing about tech and finally wore the CEO down enough that he made me a job offer, you know, on the condition that I take a gargantuan pay cut, which is like looking back now, it's very impressive that he was able to get me to take that pay cut. But yeah, so then I went to Lumosity after that. So for those that don't know, can you describe what Lumosity is? Yeah, Lumosity is an ed tech company. What they're known for is really pioneering cognitive training games or brain training games. When I first started there, they had no idea what to do with me. (laughs) They were like, okay, she's smart and she seems hardworking. So they gave me a bunch of random projects. Like I was setting up customer service. I helped set up like general bookkeeping things. I helped set up marketing recording, just a lot of back office stuff to start. And then I did a good job with everything that was thrown at me. And started to take interest in the marketing side of things because I joined and was like, why is our marketing so ghetto? Like, why do these emails have so many typos? And at a startup, you know, when you say something like that, they're like, well, just go fix it, go do it, which is great. You know, it doesn't happen at big companies like JP Morgan. And so I just started helping with marketing. And over time, it became clear I was really good at it, where it made sense for me to just start doing that full time. So I shifted over. So while at Lumosity, you had mentioned that you started kind of a side business or gig. Can you explain that a little bit? I was at Lumosity for almost seven years. And during that time, I really started to turn my health around. And it happened kind of by accident. But I learned through self-experimentation that a lot of the health problems that I had suffered from in college and continued to have after I graduated were caused by food. So, for example, one day I stopped eating soy nuggets, something that I was obsessed with my whole life. And the only reason why was because the grocery market had like run out of them and I forgot. And so a few weeks ran by where I wasn't eating soy nuggets anymore. And all of a sudden the eczema that I just always had was gone. And I thought about it and I was like, wait, the only thing that's changed is that I used to eat soy nuggets for lunch pretty much every day. And I stopped. And that's when I started digging more into food and nutrition and just reading everything that I could about nutrition and doing diets like Whole30 and Paleo to learn how to cure myself. So, And that was a long journey of tracking everything in Excel and taking really detailed notes. But eventually, I was able to move off all my prescription drugs and just change my diet. Like I haven't used an inhaler since I was maybe 25. And I used to carry one with me every day since I was 12 years old. And The only dietary change I had to make there was cutting dairy out. So I learned all this stuff while I was at Lumosity and then saw a lot of my coworkers struggling. And my coworkers were all very, very smart people from all of the top schools around the country. And none of them knew this stuff either. So I was like, wait a minute. If the best educated people in America don't know this, then like no one knows this. So I need to figure out how to get this information out there. So I started a side project. It was a nutrition education project product called The Body Test. 
And I worked on it with one of my Lumosity coworkers at the time. We did it on the side. And it was basically an eight-week program where people would learn, do a different experiment on their body every week for eight weeks. And people got really amazing results with it. They had tons of health improvements and lost tons of weight and all of that. But what I ended up seeing is that about four to six months afterwards, people were back to where they started again. And that made me realize that education alone is not enough. These people had gone through the body test, learned how to eat, and were still struggling because of how hard it was logistically (laughs) to actually eat the right food consistently every day. And that's when I finally said, oh, crap, I can't just like start a business where I can work on the beach and have this really nice digital software company and like live the good life. Like if I actually want to help people in the most impactful way, I'm going to have to roll up my sleeves and work with food and work with a food supply chain and learn how to do all of that. And and that's when I decided to start Methodology. And so what about your experience at Lumosity in the sense of you were a very early employee and you were en route to being management in many ways along with the CEO. How did you think about that in terms of risk taking and leaving that comfort zone of seven years and doing really well and starting methodology on your own? It was hard because it was stable. But, you know, when I look back, I think that I like actually didn't and this is probably bad. I don't know if this counts as advice or not. But I think the main reason why I ended up starting methodology, despite all the risks and despite all that I was giving up and despite all the work that it meant I was signing up for, was because I didn't actually think about all of those things. I kind of just followed my heart (laughs) and knew that, like, I really want to help people. I really want to figure it out. And so I just did it. My co-founder and I, we just did it. And If I had thought in advance about how much risk I was taking and how hard things would be to actually do, like, honestly, if I had gone and interviewed people in the food industry and told them my idea, like, I probably would have never started the company because they would have told me, like, did you know that, like, your life is going to look like this, this and this and you're going to manage people like this? And they would have told me all these things and I would have said, no, I like my cushy job. I don't want to live like that. But I didn't analyze it. So I wish I could say I was like super thoughtful about it and did it. But I kind of just jumped into it. And so did you wind down body test and start methodology right away? I wound down body test and I just shut it down. And then Stephen and I started prototyping methodology while I was still at Lumosity. And what we did was we just started prepping food out of his kitchen and we sent an email to 25 of our closest friends and said, hey, if you're interested in eating healthy, Stephen and I will deliver meals to you twice a week for like 25 bucks a meal. It was very expensive back then because it was the two of us doing it. And we said, let's see if people buy. Let's see if they stick around. You know, let's just see if there is the good user experience that we think it will be. And so we prototyped it and it just kept growing and people kept wanting to join the group to the point where his little kitchen got maxed out. And then we decided to just find a commercial kitchen. And around that time is when I decided, okay, well, if we really want to do this, then we probably need to raise some money. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to quit my job and say that I'm doing this full time. So that's when I decided to quit. And who is Steven? How did you go co-founder shopping? Steven, yeah. So the way I went co-founder shopping is I pretty much just made a list of my 10 smartest friends and then asked them to meet up for lunch or dinner. And I told them the idea. 
but without saying anything else, just seeing what their reaction was to it. And Stephen was the only one who immediately said, like, how do I start helping? And he just started helping without us ever having a conversation about being co-founders. He just started helping and working as hard as I was working. And then one day I was like, wow, I guess I have a co-founder now because like he's working as hard as I'm working. So obviously we're co-founders. And like we never actually had a conversation like, oh, are we co Like we never have had that conversation. But he was one of my best friends for years. And he was on my shortlist because he had worked in the food industry since he was 13. And he was one of those few friends who will literally talk about food with me nonstop all day without getting annoyed. Like most people get annoyed with me after a certain number of minutes and have to put their foot down. And like, he's happy to talk about food all day. I love it. And so you started charging $25 per meal, which is pretty pricey, as you mentioned. How did it evolve to where it is today? Yeah, over time, we keep bumping into these barriers, I guess, where, you know, the user base isn't growing, we need to figure out why and, and then changing the product and always trying to figure out what do people really care about versus what do they say they care about. So price has always been a big one. We even know today at 18 a meal, it's still on the high end, we recognize that. And it is definitely a goal to find a way to bring the prices down over time. But at the same time, you know, the thing that keeps us from doing it is just the quality that we are trying to maintain. So we know that over time, prices will be able to come down with things like scale and innovation. But for now, it's at 18. And yeah, so that was one of the things that we changed early on. We also thought that everything had to be totally personalized. So people would get insanely personalized meals. Like there's this friend of ours who wanted an insane amount of protein per meal. And One meal we had was prawns, which isn't very protein dense. So I don't know how to explain it to you, but he literally got a container with like two pounds of prawns. And then Stephen and I looked at that. We're like, we're doing something weird. Like we need to change the way this product experience is designed because we just delivered someone like a meal with two pounds of shrimp, which just like looks ridiculous. So then we just ended up standardizing things into, okay, there's small, medium, large, and that's what you're getting. So we just kept simplifying our product and stripping away the things that weren't truly needed and realizing that, okay, when we take this away, like no one actually cared and we were doing all this work for nothing. So, you know, we started off with a product that was very much like total personal chef personalized and then evolved it to where we are today, where the personalization still exists, but only for the things that people really, really care about. So I started the program and I love it. What I like is it's customized by volume, small, medium, large, but also you could have different sauces, different proteins. How did you guys evolve to come up with that business plan? The mix and match thing where you can get protein, starch, veg, sauces separately is something that took us a few years to figure that out. And the reason why we came up with the idea is we kept bumping into this problem with meals where people wanted a level of personalization that we couldn't give them without having 50 different meals on the menu. And so we knew that personalization was really important to people. And the only way we would give them the level of personalization they wanted would be if we broke the meals apart and then sold them as separate components. So this way, if you're keto, you can eat methodology. If you're diabetic, you can also eat methodology. And it's been a really nice change. And it's definitely something that's created a much better user experience. Our retention is so much stronger than it was before. And I think it's one of the reasons why our clients really like us. You had mentioned in our prior conversation that you and I have had that there's larger change in distributors that you could partner up with, like a Whole Foods and whatnot. Why did you not choose to go down that route? 
Well, the biggest barrier with partnering for distribution is they require a really long shelf life just because of the nature of the logistics of the supply chain, because we would have to get our food to some kind of distribution center, which would then go to Whole Foods, their shelf. And when you do that, you need a really long shelf life, which means there are a bunch of really fresh, healthy, highly perishable foods that you can't create anymore. So the snack foods that you see in Whole Foods that are made by other brands, there are compromises that have to be made by a snack brand in order to make it on a shelf in Whole Foods. And we just didn't want to make those compromises yet. Now, I'm not saying like we would never have a snack on a Whole Foods shelf, but today what we want to do is create like the healthiest version possible. In order to do that, we need highly perishable food that we <laughs> deliver directly to people's doorsteps. How do you guys come up with the recipe? So you had mentioned that you're goal is to use food as medicine. My problem with diets generally is that I'm just so tired of the boiled chicken and the steamed broccoli. And so I end up doing yo-yo diets. I'll do this for a week and then I go back to my Cheetos and my this and that because I crave salty, delicious, what I think is tasty food. How do you guys try to unjunk food? It's a really nice balance because we have a team of R&D chefs and chefs are very, very hyper-focused on things tasting good, which is great. And Steven, my co-founder, is definitely the same way. And then I also care about things tasting good. Like, I'm the person who will wait in line for ramen for three hours by myself. Like, that's how much I care about tasty food. But I'm also very extreme about things being healthy because of the health issues that I've had in the past and because of the whole mission behind the company. So there's a very nice push-pull between me and the chefs where... They will bring something to me for R&D. And, you know, for example, they might bring like a white sweet potato fry and I'll say, well, can you do it with the orange, you know, the yams instead because those have like more nutrients. And so then they'll try it with that. There's a very nice push pull between us. And I think that's why the product ends up striking a nice balance because I think if the menu were just designed by me, it would probably be way too healthy and plain tasting for people and people would hate it. And if it were designed just by the chefs, it probably wouldn't achieve the mission of what we're trying to do. So having all of us at the table tasting things and talking about food every week is really helpful. So what's the process of from idea generation to actual jarring of the food? Is it, you know, a week, a month, a quarter? How does it work with your idea of saying, let's recreate Taco Bell's Nachos Belgrande and let's make a paleo version of that? So I would say things fall into one of either two buckets. Sometimes we just see things that seem really tasty on Instagram and we'll say, hey, let's create a healthy version of this. Like, yeah, nachos are really in right now. Create a paleo version and the chefs will work on it and they'll bring it to the tasting. As soon as it tastes good enough to all of us, we'll push it live. And what's really cool is we're kind of like the Zara of food because I can see something on Instagram and we can have it on our menu in three weeks. And very few companies are able to do that. We've just become really, really good at R&D and turnaround because of our business model. Our business model requires new menu items every week for people to stick around and be happy. So that's become a core competency of ours. The second way things make it onto the menu is, which is how most things make it onto the menu, is more of a strategic framework where we are trying to create some kind of program or go after some particular target audience and want to make sure that we have enough things on the menu for them. For example, when we launched the gut health program earlier this year, we had to develop a bunch of new menu items for that. And so I created a long list of specs for the chefs where I said, okay, we need five protein recipes, five veg recipes, three sauces, and each of them need to hit 
like all of these rules, like none of these ingredients can be used and a lot of these ingredients need to be used. Here are some ideas and photos. And then they did a lot of the legwork after that. So basically my job is to put up the fences and provide the framework and then they go and be the creative artists and really bring the food to life. I love that. And so what is the gut health program that you launched? The gut health program is our first attempt at helping people realize that there's a difference between eating healthy and eating for a goal. And a lot of our menu today is great if you're just trying to eat healthy. But if you're someone with leaky gut, then you can't technically just order whatever you want off our menu today. There are probably things that you should avoid. And so the Gut Health Program is a two-week program where we guide our clients through that process. They get a text message with a five-minute video every day explaining some aspect of gut health. And they get a menu that's specifically tailored towards healing the gut that avoids things that are problematic for people with leaky gut and has a lot of the things that are helpful for people with leaky gut, like, you know, bone broth. So the leaky gut sounds terrifying to me. (laughs) In terms of kind of food and nutrition, is the gut the most central part of the system that you should worry about? That's what a lot of nutritionists and integrative functional medicine doctors are starting to think nowadays. We don't know a lot about the gut yet, but we know enough to say, oh, this is probably what's going to explain a lot of the food and health issues that we've seen, like the connections we've seen where we, we knew there was a connection, but we couldn't figure out why it was happening. The more we dig into the gut, uh, the more answers we're starting to find. Oh, interesting. And how do you, when I look at food education, it's this probably food pyramid that is way too old and should be updated, but for a variety of reasons has not been. How do you tackle that in terms of educating people saying, hey, actually, you don't need those type of grains all day, or you actually don't need a lot of dairy. Like, how do you want to educate yourself and also to the methodology clients from all of that, that we were told when we're younger, this is what you want, but really, or what you need, but really, is that what we really need? How did you go about educating yourself about that? For educating myself, and this is a great question, because I was just like, I had insomnia the other night for some reason. Oh, I know why. Because I ate chocolate at night <laughs> because that chocolate bar came in the mail and I was too weak to wait till the next morning. So I ate a chocolate bar at night and I couldn't sleep. And so I read like two nutrition books back to back just like over over the night. And there are two I had read before. I just wanted to review them. And the funny thing about them was they completely contradicted each other, like in every possible way. And I had never really read two books back to back before because I, obviously I know that the books contradict each other, but it's really fascinating when you read them back to back. It's like, wow, I really, really feel now why people are so confused about what to eat. So what I do is I read everything I can get my hands on. I love ideas that come from any one. And what I've done is I just experiment for myself on my own body. I've never like, oh, show me a double blind control study on whether or not this works because that doesn't matter to my body because a lot of things that have been proven or disproven in all these studies and all of these studies have so many flaws in their design. Anyway, the studies don't matter to me personally for when I'm testing things on myself. If something seems reasonably safe, like I wouldn't do like eat only bananas for a month. You know, I wouldn't do anything like r- ridiculous like that. But if it seems reasonable to me based on everything I know, I will test it on myself for a couple of weeks and see if I feel better. And if I do, and if it feels easy to do, I incorporate it into my lifestyle. And we try to do something similar with clients and with programs. Like with the gut health program, what I say to people is, hey, you know, here are the top roughly 20 things that I have learned can help improve gut health based on everything that I have read. Now, some of these things may work for you and some may not. Let's try them out. 
And you need to figure out for yourself, like, do you think it helps you? And also, do you think you can do it long term? Or is it just so freaking annoying that like, why bother with it at all? And so we're really big on bio-individuality and the idea that everyone is different. You need to figure out what works for your body because you have a totally different context from everyone else. And you really need to test things on yourself to see what's going to work for you. That's great. I mean, when I think about for myself and what I eat versus my husband and my kids, the way that we respond to things is so different that my husband can lose weight in like a second. And I could take weeks and weeks and weeks and eat salad every single day and it doesn't show up at all. And that's when I started realizing that every body is literally very different, and which is frustrating. <laughs> but that's where it's like, all right, let's take time to realize how I digest and, and whatnot. Have you gone to the point where you feel you know your body really well and also how to apply a broader education of food and nutrition for others kind of in mass? I think that I know my body well enough to be able to help the 80% of the population who's struggling. I would not say that I am the expert for sure on, for those of you who are really healthy and want to get a six pack, come to me. No, that's not me. I, I know the people on Instagram who do that. I follow them because I, I want to get to that point someday. So I'm not that person. But for the typical 80%, who where you're eating healthy, you may or may not have some autoimmune health issues and you want to take that next step to you know get rid of those autoimmune issues or you know get to a size where you feel like you don't have so much abdominal fat that you're putting your health at risk. It's not really about looks, it's it is really about health. I think that I can help that population a lot. Did you have a mentor throughout this whole process whether through college or law school or even after that? that you can credit to helping you be as educated, whether it's in business or nutrition or, or health? Yeah, I've had many mentors at different stages. I think at the law school dropout phase, my best friend was a college friend who helped coach me through all of that. He was my age, but just years beyond me. <laughs> His name is Ramit Sethi, and he's a very successful founder himself in the you know information education space. He really pushed me to frankly, like I undervalued myself at that point. And I probably would have just taken a job as an administrative assistant if it hadn't been for him, because I just like was so scared and desperately wanted to work. And he pushed me to hold out, which is scary to do when you want a job to hold out for something that would actually be challenging and a good fit. And then in recent years, the CEO of Lumosity, Kunal Sarkar, has been a very close mentor and has coached me through all the ups and downs of the business. Like, I mean, the number of times I've called him crying and freaking out about like some weird issue or legal issue. And he's talked me off a cliff and said, okay, like this is just what happens at businesses. Like you didn't know about these things at Lumosity because we didn't tell you, but like these things happen, which just makes you feel so much better. So I have him. I mean, those are the, probably the two who have helped me the most up till this point. And so when you think about your, the friends who have helped you and the mentors who have helped you, you seem very energetic, a go-getter yourself and it very process oriented. Do you have a process or routine personally that you either apply to your personal life or to work that you think would be helpful for others to hear about kind of your management of time or your goal setting? I don't think that I do anything that innovative, but on the work side of things, I do. And this is what I do have everyone on the team do every day is we have to every day write down our top three priorities for things that we have to get done no matter what and get those things done no matter what. And we do that because I think it's just easy to get stuck doing all the urgent things all day and not working on the important things. So we do that a methodology to make sure the important things are getting done and we're making progress on those. So I do that. And then in my personal life, I guess I am really big on hiring coaches and mentors. Like 
the team of people who I pay to help me with my life, I don't think anyone pays more than I do. Like, honestly, because I have like a coach who helped me with my fitness and nutrition. I have a spiritual teacher. I have like a therapist. Then I have these like business mentors and advisors who also help me. There really literally is a team of people supporting me like outside of even the team of work. And I need that. That's probably the weirdest thing that I do is I I really pay a lot of people to help me. <laughs> no, I personally, I think it's additive because when you think about athletes, they have coaches that, you know, help with quarterbacks, not only with throwing, but speed and yeah. weight and all that thing. And that's their profession. And I think that as we get older, we don't have those coaches. And I think we all should, to be honest, in every vertical. Great. Now I feel less weird. (laughs) What would you say are some of your best, quote unquote, failures that you've learned from or have seen tremendous growth from or lessons learned that you would like to share or also just tell your younger self, hey, that's okay? Yeah, I I do think that dropping out of law school was a really life-changing failure for me. It was that moment in my life where I had to like really just become an adult and realize that I have to live my life for me. And there were times when I was tempted to stay in school where I said to myself, oh, it's just two more years. But I got really good advice from friends who said, listen, like two years of your life is no joke. And so I just learned how to value my life and my time so much more because of that. And ever since then, I've been living a very no fucks given life because like (laughs) once you have to go around telling people that you dropped out of law school, which I to me made me feel like the biggest loser ever. I felt like after that, like any kind of failure feels like nothing after that. Failure has been easy for me after that. What are your long term goals for methodology? The long term goals for methodology. I mean, the mission is to end autoimmune and lifestyle disease using food as medicine. And so long term, what I would love to see is to have a product that anyone in the U.S. has access to. There's some tier of the product that they can use that fits in their budget that will help them make progress. And that we are a huge driver in this movement that's happening where people will start to see food as medicine and people will be less inclined to just want a quick fix pill that covers up the symptom and will want to actually heal themselves and heal the root cause of their problem. I think it's going to be a long journey before Americans get to that point because I understand how hard it is to convince people to do the things that the thing that's not necessarily the most convenient. But we want to be I want us to be a part of that movement. So I notice on Instagram, your stories are phenomenal and very entertaining. Do you pay for the celebrity endorsements? Because I've noticed there's a lot of celebrities who love your food. A lot of them are in Southern California. And they just start opening up the jars and doing kind of like these ad campaigns. But yeah. you can tell they're so genuine. Is that something that you ask for them to do? We don't pay them, actually. We're very fortunate that we have a product that these celebrities actually love. And and the celebrities are all friends with each other. And that's how more celebrities are finding out about us. Like, I don't reach out to the celebrities. They reach out to us. They'll be like, oh, hey, I heard about you from Zed. Or, oh, hey, I heard about you from Sarah Hyland. Can I have food? And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> we'll set you up. That's amazing. What or who inspires you to get better every day? I think that a lot of people inspire me to get better every day. I have people in different categories. So, for example, for and I follow them all, most of them on Instagram, actually, because I I just really love Instagram as as a platform. So for fitness and health, I love my coach, Sumit Sani. I love The Rock. 
I mean, if you don't follow him, you have to because that man is so inspiring on Instagram. Like, when you see this man get up and work out at 4 a.m. and then do everything else he has to do, there's no way you're going to miss your workout with your schedule. And then I follow Erica Stenz, who's a very famous trainer here in San Francisco. So them for fitness. I think because I work in health and wellness, I, most of the people I follow are just generally in health and wellness. I don't really have like business people I follow. And what is your, do you have a dream food items or menu items that you want in Methodologies program? My dream menu would be like a very Asian menu, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen because we just don't have enough Asian clients. And when we send out anything that tastes or smells Asian, we get complaints. So I mean, that's my personal dream is to have like super authentic tasting Asian food. But realistically, I would love to have a suite of programs that are targeted towards the things that I know people are struggling with most. So the highest priority one right now is actually like a fitness slash weight loss program, something that people can pair with their active lifestyle, because that's the one that's been the most requested for us. And it's something where I think that we have a lot of clients today that are using us. They're not getting as good of results as I know they can get. And with just a little bit of handholding and education, they can eat pretty much the same food and take their results up to the next level. Do you end up being a counselor or a coach for a lot of your clients? Well, when I prototype a program, I work with everyone who's in the prototype directly for at least a couple months until everything's in really good shape. So a lot of our clients I have worked with one-on-one, but once things are in really good shape, we have a team of wellness coaches and they will take over the program once things are automated. And where do you see methodology going in five or 10 years? Well, that's like so long. Okay, five, well, in five or 10 years, I'm hoping that we're definitely yeah, national by then with a large suite of products for people of all different kinds of income levels and selling products across all different kinds of categories. So not just food, but food as medicine to me is something that spans more than just what we eat every day. It covers a lot of things like beauty, skincare, you know, supplements, anything in the apothecary space. I would love to see us doing more of that someday as well. Awesome. Well, Julie, thank you so much for joining me. This was lovely, entertaining, and makes me hungry. Yay. Thank you for having me. 